Hey everyone, I'm Brent Squires. And I'm Lauren Jubeau, telling stories of the famous and not so famous youth workers, the ideas they had, the ministries they built, and the bumps in the road along the way. You're listening to How'd They Do That. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number two of How'd They Do That podcast. Brent and I are super excited that you are listening today because we have another great interview for you. We hope you'll leave feeling encouraged and inspired. On today's episode, we're interviewing Mark DeVries. Mark is a veteran youth worker and is the president and founder of Ministry Architects, an organization that helps churches build healthy and sustainable ministries through strategic planning, creating strong systems and processes. So we sat down with him to ask, How'd they do that? But first, let's do a youth ministry shout out. Every episode, we will do a youth ministry shout out, highlighting youth workers around the country who are doing awesome things. Today's shout out goes to Heather Flees, the junior high pastor at Wooddale Church in Minnesota. Heather began her ministry at Wooddale as the junior high pastor in 1996. Outside the walls of Wooddale, Heather spends a great deal of time as an author and communicator, having authored two books. I want to talk to my teen about girl stuff. And that's what she said. That's what he said. Way to go, Heather. Hey, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lauren. Great to be with y'all. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, How are you doing today? Pretty great here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, in the international headquarters of Ministry Architects right above my garage. Wonderful. I love Nashville. Uh, Before we get too far into our time with you, can you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background, education, family, um, just a little bit of everything? You bet. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. Well, my real claim to fame is that I'm a friend of Brett Squires. I mean, that's everything's a footnote. (laughs) Everything's a footnote to that. uh, and I'm pretty much a, a lifelong youth pastor. I, I just turned 60 years old and uh, was the youth pastor at my church here in Nashville for 28 years. So the, the kids who started out in my youth group were the parents of the kids in my youth group, uh, which is <laughs> a pretty, pretty stinking fun um, piece of the journey. I wrapped up that position in 2014. Um, and curiously, uh, by God's hilarious grace, uh, my son uh, has stepped into that role uh, and oh, has been in awesome. that role about four years now. So it's um, we're having a lot of fun together. Um, so uh, uh, also, I uh, get to work with an organization called Ministry Architects, uh, which began as youth ministry architects, uh, working primarily with churches and uh, you know, now we work with uh, schools and nonprofits and, uh, you know, sometimes with larger, you know, like a Methodist conference or an Episcopal diocese, kind of doing larger strategic planning and executive coaching sorts of things. Um, and uh, I have I have three kids, uh, four grandkids. Um, I have um, my youngest daughter is in Bend, Oregon, and my other daughter is in um Princeton, New Jersey, where her husband works for the Methodist Bishop there. And uh, and then, of course, Adam and his family are here in Nashville. So two granddaughters, uh, two grandsons. Um, and uh, that's a pretty sweet uh, piece of our journey right now. Uh, I have one wife. Uh, and this, this summer, we will celebrate uh, 40 years together, which is... Um, Pretty, awesome. it's a pretty stinking sweet season of our lives. This morning, we got to sit uh, on the back porch as we often do, take 15 minutes to drink a cup of coffee and uh, just do life together. So that's uh, that's a huge piece of, of who we are. So I, th- I think that's, you know, that's enough. I've got a little uh, side project I'm working these days with my friend Kenda Dean called Ministry Incubators, where we work with uh, people with harebrained ideas for ministry. They're sort of missional entrepreneurship ideas. So there's an economic engine and a fund. Uh, so a funding stream that's not a not a typical fundraiser plus a ministry purpose. So, you know, we help folks uh, take their crazy ideas and and make them happen. So <laughs> as you can imagine, that's kind of a kick. And uh, and then I've got a little nonprofit here in Nashville where we create businesses to employ and employ people. 
And uh, so uh, life is is delightfully full. The winds are blowing uh, beautifully in the sails. They're they are full, uh, and we're grateful. So that's that's kind that's of our awesome, world. Mark. Sounds like a nice, boring, uneventful life. It is, it is quite. <laughs> now it sounds like you've got a lot uh, on your plate, a lot to keep you busy, and props to you for at uh, your stage of life, for not not just kicking back and fishing or not retiring down, down in Tennessee. Yeah, I think you, I it. think Lauren so Brent just called me old. I I think that was the way that I think he may have Mark <laughs> in a roundabout way. A little, at your advanced, try to be gentle. Stage. At your advanced season. (laughs) Before you die, (laughs) well, you've served in in youth ministry as a youth pastor for, you know, for such a long, long time. Can you just reflect a little bit as a veteran youth worker on your time in youth ministry? Like what are, what are, you know, maybe some of the seasons, some of the highlights, some of the tough times Mm. uh, from your long journey in youth ministry? Yeah. Well, I, I sort of have have framed it in these in these phases. So maybe had uh, ten years or so, um, you know, before I came to Nashville. So that was that was one season. Just you know, it was it was really just um, not not knowing what I don't know, but loving what I'm doing, <laughs> right? Uh, so that was. Uh, um, up until 1986, when we came to Nashville, and then I've sort of uh, marked, uh, you know, different sort of stages along the way. Um, you know, early on, um, you know, I I knew even back in 1986, I kind of had this sense that uh, the way we were, the way we're going about doing ministry, um, uh, is is not producing the long term results. I mean, it was before the language of sticky faith was around. But I remember when I heard that phrase, sticky faith, I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That, you know, the vision is mm-hmm. we want to see young people grow to mature Christian adulthood. And uh, so um, that, you know, I, uh, you know, beautiful uh, set of um, surprises. I ended up writing a book called Family-Based Youth Ministry, really sort of, um, you know, very little research, pretty much anecdotal and, you know, drawing on some things that other folks have done, but, you know, came up uh, with a lot of the, um, the sort of, uh, directions and trajectories that sticky faith and growing young have, have now sort of empirically proven in their research, you know, just in terms of the incredible power of the extended family and the, uh, the challenges of isolating young people from the world of adults, which our culture does in general and the church does specifically. So we really leaned in um, here in Nashville to try to begin family-based youth ministry. And uh, it sort of blew up in our face. Um, uh, <laughs> we, you know, essentially what I did was I canceled youth group and said, we're going to do things that we think have a much longer um much longer impact on young people's lives. But um, yeah, I sort of went from being the answer to the church's prayers for a youth pastor to being the number one prayer request. Like, let's get this guy out of here because people were so unsettled by the notion of not having a regular Sunday night gathering. What <laughs> We had a gathering of parents uh, right. and one of them said, uh, you know, I, you know, they were concerned and, and I said, well, do you think your your kids are going to, if I start youth group back, will your kids start coming? And this parent said, well, no, I don't think my kids will come, but I just think they need to have a group not to come to. <laughs> so <laughs> I've heard that yeah. before. Classic, yeah. Classic. Uh, so, um, but that was a, that was a really tough season and um, where I sort of threw this, through the school of hard knocks, um, had to, um, you know, walk through, you know, had, had to get sort of a graduate degree in church politics, which, you know, nobody told me (laughs) that I would, I would have to be involved in such matters. Um, So that was the first season. Then there was kind of a a season of just, you know, gathering momentum. We'd, we've sort of gotten some clear direction. We were aligned, had a great team. Um, So that kind of season of just, just things beginning to click. 
Um, and then um, oh, around 2000, maybe around 2013, I went on a sabbatical. And during that time, I just had the sense, I actually, I took my dad, who's a pastor, he's not, no longer with us, but I took my dad back to his churches where he had served and, you know, all around, you know, various places in the country. And it was so dear to begin to look at the lens of moving to, you know, what I consider to be the last chapter of ministry, like 55 to 70, you know, mm -hmm. through the lens of my dad. Um, and so that that's what sort of moved us into this trajectory of, of uh, being a, uh, you know, moving out of my, my paid role at the church. I'm still, still there as a volunteer, but out of my paid role at the church. So that was a long answer to your short question, but kind of three, three or four phases there um, through the process. No, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Yeah, um, that was good. Yeah. From all your time as a youth pastor, what would you say? And I know this is a big question is one of your personal ministry highlights. Wow. I know that's a heavy one. You know, we, we've had so many really tender and profound sort of moments. You know, you guys have done youth ministry or in youth ministry. So, you know, you know, when you're at the campfire around the, you know, at the, at the mission trip or, you know, on that youth Sunday where the kids, you know, share their testimony, um, you know, you know, there's, there's so many of those kind of back to back to back things that we've done uh, that that I got to you know I just got to got to bear witness to. I mean, there were I just uh, uh, as I think about highlights of ministry, I think we get to have a front row seat on this this beautiful work of uh, the Spirit of God moving in young people's lives at this very moment when they're, they're the most receptive to setting the course of their life. It, it's amazing. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, maybe for me, it was, um, uh, all three, you know, all three of my kids, um, uh, were at seminary. Two of them, my, my son and my son-in-law were in, uh, in seminary together. And then my daughter as well, uh, several years later, my other daughter, uh, you know, I would say watching my kids uh, embrace mm. a call to ministry. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's um, and then to watch the profound ways that they do uh, that they do this this ministry that they do, um, and uh, so I I would say the most profound experience of ministry I've had has not been the ministry I have been involved in, but watching my kids uh, sort of lean themselves sure. out to do this. I should have warned that's you. Yeah, that's I should really have warned great, you that I'm kind of a crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, all right. That's okay. Maybe we'll put a disclaimer at the front end of this episode. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. Thanks for sharing. Well, one of the fruits, uh, at least in my opinion, one of the fruits of your ministry is some of the books and material that you've written. And uh, for our listeners, uh, I first read uh, your book, Sustainable Youth Ministry, back in 2010 when I started at the church where I'm at now. And uh, it really resonated with me. Um, I had read you know, countless ministry books that talked about uh, lots of different things, outreach and relationship ministry and all, all those things which are great and necessary. But Sustainable Youth Ministry was the first book that I, you know, grabbed a hold of that spoke to me in terms of creating systems and processes and so on and so forth. So can can you speak uh, to our listeners about why you wrote that book and why it's why would it be important for them to read it as well? well yeah, over, you know, over the span of this, this time, of course, you know, I went from kind of, you know, when you're young, you can be you can be the center of the youth ministry, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, and, and in fact, I, I think um, there's nothing wrong in your first couple of years. It's almost like to have the rocket fuel to get a ministry off the ground. You almost, you inevitably are going to build that thing around your particular gifts and, and that's okay. Uh, but to sustain a ministry beyond that, you know, what I realized was I, I had to have, 
you know, not just a volunteer team that were my little helpers, but I had to have a whole uh, whole collection of systems in place to make the ministry work. So just, you know, just imagine, um, imagine the systems of the body. And, um, you know, we usually don't even think about them. Like, When's the last time you thought about your endocrine system? I mean, it's, this morning. it's there, it's working. If it wasn't working, you'd think about it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm concerned about you, Brett. So if it, if it wasn't working, um, you would think about it a lot. And what happens is we tend yeah. to ignore all of those systems that we assume are playing in the background. And... Um, and so, um, you know, there are lots of metaphors for this. So it's, you know, the below the waterline stuff that we don't see, or it's the, the infrastructure to the house. But there are, you, every church assumes and every ministry assumes well, this sort of, uh, oh yeah, of course we've got a first time or follow-up process. Now, of course we've got a database system. But, uh, but we, uh, you know, one more metaphor, we tend, churches tend to hire ship captains when they need ship builders, a ship captain is not not going to be too helpful if you don't have a ship. But we hire these people to do ministry, and then they're shocked that they um, that they're expected to actually build it, and um, and they're you know they think well it should already be here. Uh, you know I hear a lot of youth pastors say say stuff like you know I don't do administration. Well, <laughs> building systems is very granular. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if if I, I often say, if what you want to do in ministry is just hang out with kids and disciple individual kids, be a volunteer. You'll have so much more time to hang out with kids. But if you're and going to be the one, that's right, and you're going to enjoy it more. Um, if you're going to be the one to equip the saints for ministry, you got to be a shipbuilder, and so. I just, I realized that so much of what was, um, you know, so much of our training in youth ministry is how to train individuals to work with kids, really, in many ways, how to train volunteers. What's missing is, you know, the, the process of creating and curating the, the systems and structures that, that every ministry's got to need to gonna have to thrive. So, you know, boring things like the database and job descriptions your recruiting process, your curriculum plan, your calendar, all of those things, if those are healthy, you can have a really, uh, you know, average gifted person running the ministry and it'll work just fine. But if those systems aren't in place, you can have a real superstar and it still won't work. And can I ask, kind of just throw in real quick, why why do you think that's the case? Is that just churches uh, maybe not making the right moves and who they hire? Is that schools and seminaries and colleges are not preparing youth ministries to do, youth ministers, youth pastors to do that work? Why do you think that is, that we're getting ship captains and It's not a combination of, of all of those things. Um, you know, there <laughs> there's there just aren't many... Uh, you know, I think there may be a ministry management course out there in some places, um, but but most of the time, uh, you know, uh, colleges that have youth ministry majors and seminaries, their courses are going to be theological. They're going to be giving a very important the theological framework for why we do what we do. Um, the courses are going to be sort of philosophical about you know, this is why you do contact work. Um, and, and, and they're going to be practical. Like, how do you do, how do you prepare a message, how to prepare a lesson, but that sort of fundamental executive leadership, how do you build and run an organization? It just is, it's pretty absent from most, most training programs. Um, so I, I think that's one of them. And the other is, um, you know, I think churches imagine they're, we all just sort of repeat what we see, and most churches, um, most churches uh, are led by people who had a uh, significant formative experience with, you know, a, a charismatic uh, youth leader who um, sort of single-handedly, uh, I'll put in quote air quotes, discipled that person, and and so they imagine, well, let's just get one of those. 
uh, forgetting that one person mm -hmm. really has very limited capacity. You know, Andy Root in his book on relational uh, youth ministry, you know, he admits that, you know, one person can really do about, you know, three, four, five people if we're going to play share with them and all that. So I think we're working off of some old scripts and the whole idea of of building systems seems, you know, it seems like overkill, right? It just, it just seems like, well, it's just hanging out with kids. You're just, yeah. just get a bunch of kids in a room and get a guitar and, and teach a Bible lesson. Is it that hard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. So for a lot of youth pastors, they may be listening and thinking, I don't have a lot of systems and structures in place. What encouragement would you give to someone listening who's in that position? Where should they start? What would be a first step that they should take? Yeah. Buy sustainable <laughs> youth ministry. That's what I would step say. Step one. <laughs> Read the book. Okay, I will, Mark, I will Mark what's step two? <laughs> we said it so you didn't have um, to. <laughs> they can email me at mark at ministryarchitects.com, and I will send you a list of 17 systems that just kind of explain what, you know, it's just a page and a half. Uh, here are the 17, when we talk about systems in youth ministry, this is what we're talking about. So I'll be happy to email those to anybody that reaches out to me, or you can do it through the podcast if you want. Um, secondly, I, I would tend to say there out of those 17, there are three or four that are, that are just absolutely essential. So the first one is you got to get your database straightened out. And you know, most youth pastors hate their church's database. You know, it, 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 what's most common in, in churches is the church says, you know, we're, we really don't like the one we've got and we want to get a new one. And in any given day, I can talk to churches who are shifting from one to the other and they're absolutely the opposite, right? <laughs> they, what's common is they're not satisfied with their database. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, all the databases, almost all the databases out there, Ministry Tracker, Shelby, ACS, Fellowship One, they work fine. They just work fine. What doesn't work is, is the operator, right? <laughs> all the databases are dependent on us updating them and spending time getting the data right. When I say database, I'm talking about the names of our yes. kids, the names of our leaders, right. what are their parents' names, what schools are they in, what grades are they in, all that stuff. Um, and what and and we what doesn't work is is we don't spend the time to take care of it. But if you have a business and you don't have your customer base, and I hate to use that kind of language, but if you don't have your your audience base, if you have a podcast and you don't have a database, you sure it doesn't matter how beautiful your podcast is, right? You guys, I'm sure know that. That's why your mom and dad are on right, your database. Right. So you're only two. Hi, mom <laughs> and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Both of our listeners are so in our database, database is number one. <laughs> number two is your recruiting plan. You got to have a process. Usually I suggest start in February and that's when you're going to start to get all your people for the fall. And uh, so a recruiting of a volunteers plan. We actually have a little book called uh, Building Your Volunteer Team. It's just sort of a 30 day sprint for those who are desperate to build a volunteer team. And over the years, we've we've made this. I'll make it to your audience as well, both of them. Um, that um, if anybody works that process in that book and it doesn't work and you don't get all the volunteers you need, I'll send you a hundred bucks. Our experience is the process oh, wow. just works. And if if folks will work the, the process of recruiting starting in February, going for six months or doing this speedy process in a month, anyway. Um, so that's the second one is your volunteer recruiting system, database system, volunteer recruiting system. And then the third one is the calendar, just having a master calendar for the year. And most youth pastors say, well, you know, we don't know when, huh? we don't know when this is going to be, we don't know. It's okay. Just get something out there, get something out there for the next year. Uh, so that parents, you better believe that when a kid leaves Canacut camp at the end of the summer. They know exactly when their dates are for their next year and can begin to sign kids up. And we sometimes, in the name of flexibility, will not get yeah. do the due diligence we need to do to get a calendar out there. Yeah, we're going to have to change some dates, but we're going to have to do that anyway if we if we wait. So let's go ahead and get a template of our calendar out there at the beginning of the year. Those are, I think, that's where I would start in terms of building systems. 
Yeah. So I'm going to quote you to you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so out of Sustainable Youth Ministry in your chapter, Dance Floor. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have it memorized, <laughs> so correct me if I miss a word. Um, but here's what you say in that chapter. You say, more and more, we are discovering that sustainable youth ministries are led by systems leaders. The day of the camp counselor youth minister who focuses only on students is over. Sustainable youth ministries make the leap from a short-term patchwork ministry to ones based on established systems that last long after the current leadership has moved on. So that's a pretty big statement. And throughout, you know, the book, one of the central things, I I remember reading this and underlining it. And uh, this was the only book that I've ever asked my (laughs) senior pastor to read. After I read this, I went to him and said, I'm never going to ask you to read another book, but will you please read this book? Because it will help you understand my job here as your youth guy. Uh, And so the, the words that I underlined, were architecture and atmosphere. You seem to keep coming back to how those two things is like a two-pronged approach to a good, healthy youth ministry, building a good, having architecture for your ministry and atmosphere. Could you elaborate on those two words a little bit and why they, those were such prominent words yeah. throughout a good video? We, we actually um, sometimes use the word alchemy instead of atmosphere, um, but it, it felt a little, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just felt a little obscure. So we, we used atmosphere instead. But when, when we talk about atmosphere or alchemy, we're really talking about building a culture, building an ecosystem in which things can grow. So the best mm-hmm. metaphor of putting mm-hmm. architecture and alchemy together is the greenhouse. So the architecture of the greenhouse actually helps to create the alchemy inside right? It controls the temperature, the feel of the place. And uh, one of the things that we right. say is that you, as a, as a leader, you, you can be the victim of your culture. And many youth pastors are, I mean, it's one of the more common characteristics of youth pastors is that they hmm. are victims of their schedule. They're victims of the kids being too busy, of parents complaining, of the senior pastor. The narrative of victimhood is alive and well in, in in professional youth ministry. All you have to do is listen to you know one yeah. keynote presentation, yeah, and, and you'll hear that thread of of you know youth pastors are the victim. Um, we can be the victim of our culture, or we can be the architect of the culture. And uh, in sustainable youth ministry, we do talk about how you know that there's a real deliberate process for crafting a culture, and and a lot of times pastors and youth workers do that intuitively, but there really is a process that you we can architect to actually shift the culture of our ministry from one of sort of stagnation and negativity to one of growth and momentum and enthusiasm. So I first read your book, Mark, in college when I was at Eastern University, and I remember you talking about balcony time, meaning that your youth pastors often have more time to work in their ministry, but not necessarily on their ministry. Can you define balcony time for us and just encourage youth workers on how to shift? Oh, Lauren, I am a, I'm just thrilled that Duffy or Daryl or somebody made you read, uh, sustainable at Eastern. That's awesome. And, uh, balcony time is actually, uh, my favorite coaching topic. So, uh, with my coaching clients, usually, Certainly within the first two calls, we get their rhythmic week in place and really lean into balcony time. Um, Balcony time is it's where all the progress happens. Most everything else we do is sort of stuck in the whirlwind and we're reacting to an email. We're going to a meeting We're we're responding to it. We got to prepare something for a lesson or a text or a sermon or a message or a program. Balcony time is the one place where we step out of the whirlwind, and I liked your language, where we're working on the ministry. Actually, we're not just working on the ministry, we're working on our, our lives, right? And the ministry is one piece of our lives. So, you know, for example, Lauren, I'd say you are, when you're in balcony time, you're working on Lauren Incorporated. So you're working on being a mom, you're working on being, um, being a, a youth leader, you're working on being a Christian, you're all of those pieces of your life, you're stepping out of the, the reactivity. You're working on being a financial manager, you're being a health, mm-hmm. you're being your own health coach, all of those pieces. Um, 
you're you're stepping out in the balcony and looking at that. Um, so uh, in a very simple, you know, typically uh, with balcony time, we recommend, and this is not just a youth pastor thing. This is just a, I just think this is a life thing. Um, and, and right. And uh, yeah, it, for everybody. it's where, mm-hmm. it's where all of the fruit is. It's where the, where your money is, where your healthy, healthy marriages and healthy parenting, health, you know, healthy leadership, all that stuff happens because of the ways we invest in balcony time. All the rest of our time is typically spent just chasing around and reacting to external stimuli, which typically doesn't move us forward. If we're using the football analogy, we, you know, we spend a lot of time washing jerseys, but we're not making any yards. And so balcony time is when we say, okay, what's our, what are we really trying to do? And so here's, here's a typical outline. You list all those roles in your life. So I would say I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. I'm a consultant. I'm a, uh, you know, sort of this innovative catalyst for ministry incubators, you know, whatever those roles are. I got 10 or 12. And every week I try to name a single target. This week, how do I want to be a better dad? This week, how do I want to be more faithful to Jesus in the way I'm, I'm practicing living out my faith? This, this week, how do I want to help ministry architects be a more faithful expression of what we what we're called to do? How do we take care of our employees? All that sort of stuff. Um, but you you go through that list and you name that one thing in each of those categories that is um, that is you think is the most strategic thing to to help you make progress in that area. Now here's the thing: it the reason people don't do balcony time is that it requires us to think. It requires us to step back and not, I mean, think about Mm. what we normally do when we wake up in the morning. We go straight to our computer. We fire it up. When people walk in the office, they fire it up and they go straight to their emails and they let somebody else control the agenda of their life for the rest of the day, right? Rather than sort of Sure. Sort of ruthlessly owning responsibility for the course of their life, lifestyle by design, as some people call it, right? Rather than owning that themselves, they'll let somebody else take responsibility for it. So balcony time is really, it is so difficult because it feels like such a luxury, but it really is the, it is the way to move out of the reactivity of the whirlwind and move into the life that you feel like God has called you into. And Mark, what do you think that looks like for most people? Is that 15 minutes every morning before they open their email? Is it an hour well, once a I, week? You know, it's interesting, Lauren. I, I started out suggesting that uh, people spend two or three hours once a week, go to Starbucks, go someplace, don't go to your office because the second you walk in your office, it's interruption city. So go someplace else, work for a couple hours, get your all your task list organized, sort of clear out your your clutter and all that sort of stuff. Um, what I realized was that was way too intimidating for most people. Uh, most people were just not, you know, they could maybe spend 30 minutes. So uh, what a lot of people, if you can do two hours, I'll sing the doxology and be so happy. But I, I'm assuming, let's just assume that you're normal. If you take 15 minutes a day, like you said, I think that's not a bad way to, to go. And um you know, one of the things I also love, stolen uh, from a book called Organized Tomorrow Today, um, at just naming every morning before you start, what's my one must? What's the one thing I must get done today? And what are my three essentials that, that you know, mm-hmm. follow behind that one must? So what that does is we just say, not only does balcony time help me focus on what's most important and select those things. But then I'm going to say, I'm going to tend to those things before I get to reacting via email, voicemail, all those other things. And just to clarify, it's balcony time because you're up high and you're getting a a kind of a 30,000 foot view of perspective of your life, your ministry, what have you. Is that correct? Right. Exactly. So imagine being on the factory floor. That's the metaphor I kind of uses. You, right. you're not down there working with the machines. You're not doing the accounting. You're not doing the sales. You're not engaged in any of those individual pieces. You're looking at the whole thing 
and identifying, oh, I see a problem. This is why our whole organization is slowing down because of what I can see right there, which you could never see if you were just on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a, just as a testimonial, like when I, when I sat with you a couple of years back uh, and you taught me about this and talked about why it was important to work uh, on your ministry, not in your ministry, then I started scheduling what the way I do it is once a month, I take about an hour and a half to two hours and I hit the Starbucks and I just look at my ministry and are we, are we accomplishing or at least focused on the big goals and kind of, uh, priorities, if you will, for our ministry, as opposed to writing the sermon and planning a meeting, you know, those, those detail things. I kind of look at the staff, our vision, are we on track, those types of things. And that, that has been so helpful because it is easy in the, in the day in and day out of ministry to just start focusing on the, on the nuances of sermon prep or, you know, even, you know, even good things like discipling kids and that type of thing. And you get, uh, to the point where you're not focusing on making sure you're staying in the right direction. Right. Oh, that's so good. The, you know, the other clarity I like to bring to balcony time is it's not a time to exercise. It's a time to plan your exercise for the next week or that day. It's that's not good. a time to read, but it's a time to make sure, sure that you're, you've got a reading plan. It's not a time for your quiet time, but it's a time to make sure you're carving out intentional time for God. So it, it's the it's the it's the nuance between thinking and and planning versus just going to do and that gap between stimulus and response is where most of us get tripped up because we just get hooked you know once that email gets open bam we're <laughs> we're gone for the next 15 yep. minutes usually yeah well you travel extensively you've traveled out to to be with us uh, on occasion uh, you interact with a lot of churches all over the place different sizes different denominations uh, you've, you've, you know, you've definitely logged the, the frequent flyer miles, um, for good or for bad, where do you see youth ministry in the U S headed? Like you, you, you've had the great perspective of seeing where we've come over the past 30 plus years, but where is there kind of a tra trajectory that you see youth ministry on? Where might we be headed? Mm, I love that question. Well, I think, uh, much of it is embodied with what, um, Kara Powell is doing with Fuller Youth Institute. Uh, you know, Kara uh, just incarnates this vision of collaboration. And um, so much of what she has done in, in their, both their Sticky Faith research and now with Growing Young and for the whole institute is the way she brings people together. And she and just, know, to, uh, just to interrupt you real quickly, we're trying to get we're trying to get Kara on our show. I would so, love so to talk to Kara. Kara we want you to to be on our podcast. So. I would be yeah, I'd be thrilled to uh, <laughs> to encourage Kara to jump in with you. Um, but I think I think what she's doing uh, with um, with just bringing a spirit of collaboration. Um, mm -hmm. She you know in a real tender way, I think God has really called her to be. Uh, you know, a convener of of um, of wise leaders in the field of of youth ministry, and I was I was at a gathering uh, with her uh, recently where she had convened what what would represent, I think, something like sixty eight percent of all the Christians in the world, or at least in the United States, right? All in terms of mm -hmm. denominations and strands, and right. so uh, you know, Pentecostal national leader and there's a, you know, Catholic leader, national leader and youth ministry all in the same room, all around. I, I do believe that nothing quite brings people together like missions and, and young people. And um, I do think collaboration is the new black in ministry. Um, I think that that's a trend I, I, I'm excited about. The, the second one is, um, I think we're moving away from ministry models and moving toward ministry processes. Um, so for, for example, it used to be, you know, we'd say, let's do, let's everybody do purpose-driven youth ministry. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think there's plenty of good stuff to, to roll with, with purpose-driven youth ministry. But it, what we now know is, you know, we're, we're able to receive that as, as the 1.0 version, recognizing that the, 
the best youth leaders are going to be prototypers and iterators, not just not just those who sort of say, "Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna take this system and drop it uh, here." Right. Um, you that know, I also sense. also feel like family. You know, family ministry is. Um, you know, all the all the data just keeps pointing and keeps pointing to the incredible power of family and faith formation. And, you know, I think we, you know, combine that with the second one that we're we are prototyping, iterating, we're innovating. And I I I think those two things together can create a pathway for us to do better work with families that I think long term is going to be more formative for young people. I also think that we're going to have less uh, full time youth workers. And so, which is why this whole mission launch, Uh-oh. Uh, you know, I just think churches are going to, churches are going to be out of money when the boomers are dead and uh, nobody's, nobody's really thinking, oh, there's an iceberg up there. Uh, but, you know, the boomers yeah. give it such a ridiculously greater rate to the institutional church than the generations following. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess, I'll bet that they're going to die first. That's my guess, because I I am one of them. So, um, and when that happens, we're going to have to think about doing. We're going to have to think about alternate streams for youth ministry, alternate alternate streams for funding youth ministry that we've never had to think about before. Right now, we just say, well, of course, the church is going to pay mm. for it, and and I think the very small churches and the very large churches they're going to be fine for an extra fifty years, um, but the churches between, let's say, you know, two hundred 200 and a thousand or 200 and 1500, I think they're going to, they're going to really struggle with, with funding their staffing. Well, that's a good word and a lot to process for everyone listening. I think that we've established Mark that you are, you've had a huge long time um, journey in youth ministry. How would you encourage the youth workers who are listening now as they just move forward in maybe the earlier season of ministry? Hmm. You know, I'll go back to um, probably a verse that's pretty familiar to most youth pastors, uh, Proverbs 4.23. Um, Above all else, it starts out. Now, it's interesting. Solomon could have just said, above all else, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? But he, he took mm-hmm. a little different tack here. And Solomon, yeah, he did. Or whoever wrote Proverbs there right, with this particular proverb said, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it comes the wellspring of life. Um, the whole emotional health uh, journey, you know, I think so many people in ministry um, have grown up believing that the most faithful thing they can do is be emotionally unhealthy because they're so dang busy, right? <laughs> um, and right. Um, the truth is, uh, we have this one life each of us that God has given us to steward and to find ways that, um, that, that we are staying, you know, our, our forgiveness, uh, lanes are being flushed, right. That, that we don't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of sticking points. I mean, we've all got, you know, family issues and things to work through. So, you know, I'm encouraged by the number of youth pastors who are, you know, deliberately going to counseling. They're finding spiritual directors. They're they're finding mentors and coaches. And I'm I'm, I'm mm-hmm. suggesting that we're not looking for an individual solution. Like, oh, if you just go to a counselor, that'll solve it. I'm suggesting we're all responsible for mm-hmm. building this ecosystem of health around us. So we all ought to have a marriage coach and a parenting coach. We ought to have a financial coach. We ought to have all of these. Um, healthy systems, healthy people speaking into our lives. Um, and so I think, you know, it's Jesus saying the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is clear, the whole body's full of light. We've got a, the, the problem with people that are unhappy in, in youth ministry often is the lens they're seeing things through, which is their particular lens. And to move toward greater health and greater freedom, you know, deeper gratitude, deeper generosity, all of that um, is something we can actually take responsibility for rather than being being victims of. I think that's where I'm going with what mm, I'd say to good. young youth pastors. Good. 
Well, we'd like to wrap up our time with you today by doing a little lightning round. And this is where we shoot you a few questions rapid fire style. But before we do that, uh, I would like to hear a word from our podcast sponsors. HTDT would like to thank its sponsors, Student Ministry Creative Collective and Multi-Summit. Student Ministry Creative Collective empowers youth workers by offering quality creative content such as graphics, videos, series bumpers, and more for all your student ministry design needs, saving you both time and money while maintaining excellence. For more information, check out their webpage at smcreativecollective.com. Multi-Summit is a gathering of folks who are doing student ministry in a multi-site context. If your church is doing or working towards multi-site ministry, you don't want to miss this event coming up in March 2019. Expert presenters will lead discussions on a variety of multi-site student ministry topics and offer best practices so you come away equipped for fruitful ministry across multiple campuses. For more on Multi-Summit, check out multisummit.org. And while you're checking out those websites, if you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please give us a rating and review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming out. And spread the word to all your ministry friends. All right. Okay, guys. Uh, it is time for a lightning round with Mark. Are you ready, Mark? Okay. I've, I've got my seatbelt on. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number one. What is your go-to Starbucks order? Well, I'm going to have to, going to have to nuance that. Um, <clears throat> uh, when I get like a free drink, uh, I will get a venti green tea latte. Uh, normally I'll just get whatever's the dark. I'll get a grande dark. All right. I like there that. You there you go. It works. <laughs> I'll have to try that. So number two, what binge worthy show are you watching on Netflix? Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Netflix. Um, but, uh, I'm, uh, elementary. It's this Sherlock Holmes, uh, show. And, uh, man, I just, you know, I love I love when brilliant people uh, solve complicated problems in about fifty two minutes. It's so great. <laughs> okay, I like that. I've never heard of that one, so maybe I'll oh have to watch gosh. it. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I told you this. It's going to change your life. Okay, good because I need a new show right now. <laughs> All right. Question number three: uh, Who is influencing you the most in ministry right now? You know, I <clears throat> I think. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to say Richard Rohr. Um, uh, I don't know if you all know Richard Rohr, uh, Franciscan uh, priest. I first learned heard Richard Rohr when he taught about the Enneagram. I had about 15 tapes on the Enneagram about 25 years ago, and uh, <clears throat> Lauren's huge yeah, on the Enneagram. I love the Enneagram. Well, this so she's gonna write that name down. This now. was uh, this was the guy who was talking about the Enneagram before anybody ever heard of the Enneagram. <laughs> Before it was cool. Uh, before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. right. Before it was trendy. That's right. Um, but I think, you know, he brings um, he brings sort of this mature, wildly open-heartedness to his love for Jesus that is um, pretty refreshing for me at this season of my life. Great. I'm going to have to look that one up too. These are good answers, Mark. So our last question, number four, what ministry advice would you give to your younger self? I think when I was younger, I assumed that I had to make a choice. I, I assumed I could either be this sort of disruptive innovator that was coming up with the wild new thing, or I could be kind of the boring uh, administrator that's being organized and getting things done. Um, and uh, I would say to my younger self, you don't have to choose. <laughs> you... <laughs> You can you can build these systems and you can have some wild innovation, but you don't have to bet the farm. Like when I was doing the family-based youth ministry thing, I didn't mm -hmm. have to bet the farm on that. I could have prototyped something with the sixth graders and their parents and nobody would have cared. Somebody actually said to me, uh, you know, about five years into family-based youth ministry at our church, they said, oh, this is what you're talking about. If you had just done this and not talked about it so much, we'd have been just fine. <laughs> so feel nice. I, I would I would tell myself I can relax into 
to doing both of those. And in fact, that is, I really think that's what the church uh, really is calling for and needing today. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, for everyone listening, Mark, one more time, tell us how we can connect with you via social email um, and for Ministry Architects. Um, Well, Mark at Ministry Architects is just an easy email address for me. Uh, Of course, you can go to ministryarchitects.com. We hope in the next couple months, we'll have a new website and a new logo. You know, these things happen. We are, we're on the cutting edge. We, we update our graphics about once every two decades. So here it comes. Get excited. That's most church (laughs) ministries. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, I'd love for you to check out ministry incubators too. So ministryincubators.com as well. If you happen to have a harebrained idea for, for ministry that you want to knock around. Well, we, we will list all of that in our show notes so that all of our listeners can access those resources along with your books and so forth. So they can check that out there. But um, this wraps up our time with you, Mark. We want to say thank you so much for coming yeah, on our podcast, you. letting our listeners hear about your story and just the great things that uh, you're, you've been doing and you're doing and hopefully are continuing to do for many more years. So again, we appreciate it so great much. Great to be with y'all. Thanks. Well, Brent, episode number two is in the books. Any closing thoughts? Yes. um, I think anytime you listen to a guy with as many years of experience as Mark, there's going to be some huge takeaways. And for me, there were two. The first one was just the concept of we need more ship builders as opposed to ship captains. And that was huge because uh, I think that's exactly right. His point's well taken that... um, when you're focusing on building the ministry, you make it healthy for everybody. Whereas if you just focus on hanging out with kids and doing some retreats and events, it can get really narrow and really focus on just that youth pastor or youth workers, individual skills and talents and abilities. So that was huge. And then balcony time, just working on your ministry, not just in your ministry. Yeah. I loved the balcony time for me. It's such a challenge to, I have a two-year-old at home. So sitting for 15 minutes every morning doesn't always happen, but I like that he says that that change really starts with you and making sure all your personal systems and processes are in place. But also Mark was just a really great and refreshing interview to hear and to listen to. So I hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. Good episode. We've got many more great episodes in the works. Upcoming interviews include Justin Herman of Sandals Church in California and Controlled Chaos Podcast. Joe Crabb, Student Ministry Director and host of the Multi Multi Podcast. Doug Franklin from Leader Treks and Travis Deans of Teens for Christ and National Network of Youth Ministries. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please give us a rating and a review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. Yes, and if there's someone in your area who you'd like us to interview, reach out through our webpage and we'll try our best to get them on the show. And that webpage is www.htdt.org. That's HTDT, as in how they do that. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Student Ministry Creative Collective. Make sure you check them out at smcreativecollective.com and Multisummit at multisummit.org. And special thanks to those who help put together each and every episode. Production Director Josh Laurie, Lead Creative Director Matt Cashman, Administrative Assistant Ali Batan, and a very special thanks to Garrett Atkinson of GDA Productions for providing all the music for the podcast. Until next time, this is Lauren Jubel and Brent Squires answering the age-old question, how'd they do that?